we made it. After four years, we've reached episode 100 of the podcast. And I really want to thank you for taking this trip with me through the world of Star Wars and collecting. I couldn't have done this without you. At some point, you took a chance on this podcast. And since then, you've traveled with me to toy shows in Ohio and New Jersey, conventions in Chicago and Nashville, meetups in New York and Pennsylvania. You joined me for collectors' roundtables, conversations with Ahsokaholics, and deep dives into the Hakes auction catalogs. We explore the history of Hasbro's HasLab projects, the tale of the Darksaber through the Clone Wars, Rebels, and Mandalorian series, and the true story of Darth Vader's stunning reveal in The Empire Strikes Back. We learned what it was like to collect during the pandemic, and the process behind creating a Star Wars toy. And our collector friends shared six stories about the treasured items in their respective collections. We attended the annual, the Toys for the Ages Expo, the Cincinnati Toy Show Weekend, ZoloCon, and FonzCon. We celebrated our community of collectors during two live panels, and we heard stories from many of our friends as they reflected on monumental moments like Celebration and the Collector Trips. And now, after 99 episodes together, we made it. This is where we celebrate. This is a collection of stories from my experience as a collector, covering everything from the Kenner figures of the 1970s and 1980s to the Hasbro toys of the past 20 years. These are some of what I consider to be my amazing finds and the moments that made them both memorable and meaningful. This is episode 100. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. to the 100th episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production. If you've enjoyed the past 99 episodes, could you do me a very quick favor? I want to keep the podcast going and growing, and if you could leave a review on your preferred podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, I'd greatly appreciate it. Oh, and if there's an episode that you particularly enjoyed, please share it with a friend. Doing any of these three things would help me to get the word out so that others in our community can be a part of the next 100 episodes. I have to be honest, it took me a while to find the right subject for the 100th episode. 
I wanted to make it something personal and something special. In episode 99, some of our friends shared the stories behind their amazing finds. And I thought I'd share a few of my own from the past decade of collecting, as well as the friendships I made and the lessons I learned along the way. As someone who collects both vintage and modern, Kenner and Hasbro, prototypes and production pieces, I wanted to tell you a few stories that highlighted these wonderful collectibles from the past 40 years that we all know and love. The stories from the vintage era will be about figures and items I picked up from Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and 1985's Power of the Force. And the ones from the modern era will focus on prototypes from the 90s Power of the Force 2 collection, the Clone Wars, the Black Series, and Star Wars Rebels. So grab your favorite hot or cold beverage, your choice, and join me for the stories behind some of my amazing finds for the Star Wars prototypes and production pieces. Oh, the music's coming on, so before we begin with the first story, now would be a good time to leave a review of the podcast or to send an episode to a friend. Thanks in advance, and I hope you enjoy episode 100. The morning of any toy show trip is an exciting one. Beginning in 2012 or 2013, I broke from my weekly attendance at church on the first Sunday of every month to drive north to the town of Wayne, New Jersey for the Wayne Toy Show. Held in a large open room in the Wayne Firehouse, the monthly show offered collectors the opportunity to hunt across rows of tables for vintage and modern toys. Vendors had items ranging from the 50s and 60s up to the present day, and the show really focused on memorabilia from the 20th century. One of the best parts about a show like this is that you truly never knew what would turn up. That figure or toy someone packed the night before the show could be the one that made the trip completely worthwhile for a collector. And for me, the hope was always to acquire loose and carded Kenner Star Wars figures for my collection. As I returned month after month to the Wayne Toy Show, I had gotten to know many of the regulars there. And one of the vendors was Rob Bruce. I've mentioned Rob before on the podcast because he had a profound effect on my early collecting years. Rob's knowledge about the toys and the different lines spanned decades and he always filled his table with cases of fascinating and varied pieces, and the larger and more obscure ones would sit on shelves behind him. A number of us would congregate in front of his table and would recap our action figure pickups since we last saw one another. And in between completing sales, Rob would join our conversations and would share nuggets of knowledge about whatever we were discussing at the time. The first Sunday in July in 2015 was the start to something special. I'd always arrive a half hour before the doors would open at 8 a.m. for the early bird admission, where if you paid a slightly higher price, you'd get into the show an hour before the general audience. 
I'd explore the tables outside the venue while I waited for the show to open, where I seemed to have the fortune of picking up some loose and carded Star Wars figures as vendors were unloading them from their cars. Once inside, I'd always do a quick lap, scanning each table for anything from the Kenner line. And on that Sunday in July, I cut my lap short, stopping immediately once I landed at Rob's table. In a smaller wooden case with a glass top was an arrangement of carded Star Wars figures. They were neatly and carefully stacked in a line, overlapping to conserve space within the case. Looking down at the table, I was only able to see which figures he had by those that were still in their bubbles. The card back of one figure was covered by the next, all the way down the row, and only the carded figure at the furthest end was fully visible. It was an incredible sight. Many of the bubbles looked crisp, and the card backs I could see appeared as if they had been pulled from store shelves only the day before. Rob walked behind his table to meet me, and the case of carded figures sat between us. I asked him if I could see the figures. He asked me which ones did I care to see, and I immediately and excitedly sputtered, all of them. Rob laughed and carefully laid each one out in front of me. Over the previous three or four years, I had picked up a number of carded figures, but none from the first 21 Star Wars releases. They had simply been too expensive, or I narrowly missed out on them, finishing as the underbidder in each eBay auction. But here, in front of me on the table, were four 20 and 21 back Star Wars carded figures. Hammerhead, Power Droid, R5-D4, and a Sand Person or Tusken Raider. If you've been collecting for a while, this may not seem like a big deal. But even though prices for the original Star Wars figures were far cheaper before The Force Awakens hit theaters, to me, they were ones I didn't think I'd be able to ever afford. And seeing all four figures still sealed on their card backs for the first time in person since receiving them as a child, I decided I had to own them. Vendors at the Wayne Show were really good about doing deals, especially with regular attendees. And if you were purchasing a number of items at one time, you'd have a better chance of getting them for a very good price. Rob was known for helping out a fellow collector with a deal. I knew he would work with me, and I didn't want to pass up any of these figures. After going through the lot, I pulled two 41-back carded Empire Strikes Back snowtroopers and a clear bubble Return of the Jedi Bib Fortuna. Spending money, especially on a hobby, always made me nervous. I had no idea what Rob wanted for each, and when you've already purchased them in your mind, dealing with the actual prices and total cost can lead to the disappointment that comes with the almost. Almost being able to buy them. Almost bringing them home. Almost adding them to your collection. Rob leaned over the table and, whispering to himself, began adding the prices for each figure. When he finished, he pulled himself back so he was standing upright and said the total would be about $1,400 for the seven figures. I think he saw the color leave my face. That was a fair price for the lot at the time, and with The Force Awakens coming out in only a few months, he would have been able to get $1,400 for the set, and likely pretty quickly. 
But whether he wanted to make a quick sale, or wanted to help me, or both, his face softened, and he said to me, How about a thousand dollars? I had never spent a thousand dollars at one time on Star Wars figures before. Again, this was a time in which carded Power of the Force figures like the R2-D2 with a pop-up saber or the Luke and Poncho were selling for under $200. And at that price, they were often already graded. I had the money with me, but I'd never imagined I'd spend that much at the show. But I didn't know if I'd have a chance to ever pick up four Star Wars figures, two Empire ones, and a Return of the Jedi Bib Fortuna in one shot again. So I immediately accepted his offer. I nervously fumbled through my backpack for my envelope and counted out ten $100 bills, my hands shaking as I tried to lay each one on the table. We shook on it, and he wrapped them in a bag for me. I carried them out to my car and carefully laid them out on my passenger and back seats and on the floor so nothing would happen to them on my ride home. That day was a leveling up for me, and collectors experience this all the time. It really is part of collecting. After a while, the prices of the pieces we purchase enter into a new bracket, putting a little more of a strain on our collective wallets. But it's an exhilarating feeling to bring home items that formerly seemed improbable, and the fact that they came from the Wayne Toy Show and from Rob Bruce meant even more to me. Rob really became a mentor to me, especially in the early years of collecting. The rest of that year was a special one, and over the course of the next few months, Rob kindly helped me acquire carded Star Wars figures I had only dreamed of obtaining. Those figures were the start of what he had named the Columbus Collection. A former KB Toy Store employee had purchased nearly the entire line while working there in the 1980s and the collection was one of the greatest ones I've ever seen. Rob would pay for all of it over time, and the owner sold it in batches, according to the order in which the figures were released. And it covered everything from the 1978 Star Wars figures to the end of the line with 1985's Power of the Force. The original owner also had every vehicle, case, playset, and toy from the Kenner universe. For the boxed items, the owner opened one end, and on the inside would stamp the date he purchased it into the cardboard, for his own personal record. But the box and the contents inside were as fresh as the day they appeared in that KB store where he worked. And each month, Rob would bring another segment of it to the Wayne Toy Show. He knew how much these pieces meant to me, and would give me first shot at many of them. Rob would often come to the door to greet me before the show opened for the early bird attendees. He'd point to me and would say to the woman at the door, He's with me. And as we walked into the bustling large room of the firehouse, as vendors were racing to finish setting up, he'd lean in toward me and would ask, Want to see what I picked up? Knowing my answer would always be a resounding yes. And ever the showman... He'd throw back the sheet covering the smaller glass case and would watch as my eyes would widen. And he'd let me explore the case as I inspected each carded figure. I'd like to think he found joy in fueling the passion of a younger generation of collectors. 
For every group of figures I purchased, he always gave me an extremely fair and generously kind deal. And because of his kindness, it meant so much more to me than just picking up vintage Star Wars pieces for my collection. His support and encouragement made me feel comfortable as a collector. That what I was doing was not foolish. And he made me feel that I belonged with those who gathered around his table to chat at every show. That I was part of that circle. This was at a time before I was connected to the larger collected community and before I knew many of the collectors I call friends today. And it's one of the things that propelled me to seek out friendships with other collectors. When someone takes the time to bring you into the fold, the effects are profound and are often immeasurable. And while we're talking about the pieces from the original Star Wars film, I want to share another quick Rob Bruce story. Toward the end of the run of Rob's Columbus collection, he had brought a number of loose Power of the Force figures with him to Toy-Con NJ, a convention that was a larger version of the Wayne shows. I purchased a number of the figures from him that day, and all of them had been opened by the original owner and included all of their accessories. As I was about to pay him, he stopped me, and in his Rob Bruce way mentioned he had one more item he thought I might like. Rob reached behind him and pulled from under a table a Star Wars board game that came in a long, narrow box. I tried to politely tell him that I only collected the toys, but he ignored me and lifted the cover of the box. I could see the contents and game pieces, which were still in sealed bags. I'll never forget this. He ignored me yet again as I tried to politely decline for the second time, and he leaned closer to me. His eyes flashed, and he smiled and said, I wasn't talking about the board game. I wanted to show you what's under it. And he lifted out the game board, revealing a resting place for the most perfect, most untouched cardboard backing header to the original 1979 Star Wars action figure display stand. The display backer was so beautiful, I framed it. And that moment was magical. I will truly never forget it. Rob made collecting fun, and his kindness really set me off on a new path for collecting. And as a mentor, he showed me how to welcome and treat the next generation of collectors. And I'll always have Rob to thank for my first Star Wars era carded figures. An Empire Souvenir On the heels of a wonderful experience at 2017's Celebration Orlando, I attended my first Star Wars Collectors Meetup in July. For collectors, that first meetup can be a monumental event. And for those who have been in the hobby for a while, there's something special about it. We generally encounter it at a time in which collecting still has that new sheen attached to it. And a lot of times, the people we meet at that inaugural gathering eventually become close friends over the years, especially when it comes to local collecting clubs. And my first meetup was an Empire State Club event at the home of Ron Salvatore in the Hudson Valley area of New York. 
Collectors are fond of making swag, basically pins or patches or other ephemera that uses a Star Wars theme and marks the day in a funny or memorable way. And my main swag from the event we affectionately titled RonCon 2 was a carded Empire Strikes Back figure. The meetup was a dream come true for me. The year before, I had been listening to the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast, known as the Kivecast, on my way to a toy show by myself. And one of the segments was a live recording from Ron's house, as collectors share their thoughts about some of Ron's pre-production pieces. I remember longing to be in a room with other serious Star Wars collectors. And I felt like I had already known Ron, from reading his articles on the Archive website and from his regular appearances on the Kivecast. And as I drove, a thought echoed in my head. I wish I could join these collectors at Ron's house one day. I didn't really know many collectors at the time, and it just seemed like everything I'd heard on the Kivecast was recorded on a different planet, because the idea that collectors gathered together regularly was so foreign to me. I couldn't fathom how I'd ever be part of a group like that. A year later, however, everything changed so rapidly for me. In the course of a few months, I had met a number of collectors whom I consider close friends today. I finally gave in and joined Facebook after being a long holdout, just to connect with more people leading up to Celebration, and the Star Wars-themed Facebook groups introduced me to so many people at an expedited rate. And Celebration gave me the chance to finally put faces to the names in the groups and the voices I had heard on the podcast once we were all in the same room for that long, glorious weekend in Orlando, Florida. And in the afterglow of 2017 Celebration, I miraculously found myself at Ron's house, surrounded by a large contingent of Empire State Club members. I was no longer listening to the conversations on a podcast, but was taking part in them, standing among a literal circle of collectors as they joked and laughed and talked to me and to one another. My friend Pete LaRose had invited me to Ron's. He and I had become friends after seeing each other at nearly every toy show in the tri-state area over the course of a few years. I'd hang around his table and we'd talk about toys and life. That's how friendships begin. And out of kindness, Pete introduced me to his friends and included me in events he thought I'd enjoy, like RonCon. Midway through the day at Ron's, Pete tapped my shoulder and asked if I wanted to join him and our friend Mike Mensinger for a quick trip to Pete's house. Pete has been a serious collector for decades and has been a vendor at toy shows for nearly as long, and the chance to finally see his collection was an added bonus to an already eventful day. Once we arrived at Pete's place, we headed down his basement. He showed us some special pieces he owned and let us look through the boxes of carded figures from many different lines. I focused on the boxes of carded and graded Star Wars figures, finally honing in on a figure I had been hunting for a while. It was a carded AT-AT driver from the Empire Strikes Back line. The card back was the 41A, noted by the survival kit offer on the front and back. It was also the debut card for the AT-AT driver. And as a collector of Star Wars figures on their debut card backs, the AT-AT driver had been an elusive one, 
and I could never find one in good condition and with a clear bubble. But this one was already graded at a fantastic 85 and had a crystal clear bubble. Pete had previously priced it to sell at shows, but he gave me a very fair deal on it. Mike also gave me his nod of approval, and I was thrilled to be able to add another Empire Strikes Back figure to my collection. That might have been the first of many pieces I've purchased from Pete over the years. It's definitely one of my favorites. We returned to Ron's house a half hour later, just in time to take a club photo to mark the day. I remember keeping the carded AT-AT driver in my backpack and carrying it with me through the entirety of RonCon. I had put it in my car initially, but the day had been one of those humid and steamy ones, and I feared the conditions would have an adverse effect on the figure's bubble. It's not an exaggeration to say that day changed my life. At the very least, it created a new path for the next five years. I've taken some amazing trips with the Empire State Club, ones that have highlighted the blessings that come with a community of creative and connective collectors. And in a lot of ways, that Empire Strikes Back 41A AT-AT driver is a souvenir of that day, which was the beginning of my involvement in my local Star Wars collecting club. Carded Jedi Returns The 100th episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production wouldn't be complete without a story about my favorite figure. Ever since my mother purchased a Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight figure for me in 1983, it's been at the top of my list when it comes to the Kenner Star Wars line. My childhood Luke Jedi figure was one of the earliest releases and came with a blue lightsaber which Kenner quickly switched to green, which more accurately matched Luke's on-screen weapon in Return of the Jedi. And almost 30 years later, from the day I became a serious collector in 2011, one of my goals was to own a carded Blue Saber Luke. The biggest problem was that they were pretty rare, and it was extremely difficult to find one in good condition. Early on, I made the decision to wait for the right one to come along no matter how long it took to find it. I had many opportunities to buy one, but there always seemed to be an issue with each one that came up for sale. The card would have creasing, or it would be marred by an unsightly tear, or the bubble would be dinged and dented, and the lightsaber would be rattling around freely as the tape formally holding it dried. And at times, I'd get so close. I found one or two that looked perfect from the front, but the back had been used as a checklist by a child, and the figures adorning the card back were circled or crossed out. And if you're a collector, you know the voice of impatience that pops up from time to time. You hear it in your mind, telling you to just spend the money and buy the one that is available now, because you don't know when the next one will appear. That even though it's not exactly the condition you want, and some of the flaws are glaringly obvious, you'll get used to it, and you'll love it eventually. But that's the voice you need to ignore. When you're looking for something significant, unless it is truly rare or one of a kind, there's no reason to settle. I knew what I was looking for and knew that this particular figure meant so much to me, and I wanted to buy it once 
and to find the best possible example I could afford. In May of 2016, five years after I began my search for a carded Luke Jedi with a blue saber, I stumbled upon one that caught my eye. It was listed in an eBay auction as Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight, but with no mention of the lightsaber's color. And at first I didn't even realize it was a blue saber variant. But it was the nicest carded example I had ever seen for any Luke Jedi figure. The card back was unpunched, and there were no price stickers on it. In the description, the seller listed it as old store stock, and it showed. It looked like it had been pulled from a sealed case, or the seller somehow figured out how to travel back in time. From the seller's photos, I could only catch a glimpse of the saber. But it was enough to see the difference in color between it and the green backer behind the figure. And after receiving confirmation from the seller that it was indeed a blue lightsaber in the bubble, I decided that this would be the Luke I would add to my collection. I was ready to go all in, and to get it no matter the cost. The auction ended in a week. The seller also had a carded Return of the Jedi Darth Vader with the original cardback photo found on every Star Wars Vader release until it was changed at the very end of the Jedi run. This one had a clear bubble and was also unpunched and free of price stickers. I had a feeling it would be a very expensive week for me. I remember checking the auction multiple times during the day. First thing each morning, during the day at work, and then right before I went to sleep. My stomach flipped every time the prices ticked up on the two figures. But I was determined to win both of them. Both auctions ended during the afternoon on a weekday, which I figured could work in my favor. I locked myself in a private room at work to make sure I wasn't interrupted as the last few minutes of the auctions counted down. The price of the Luke Jedi jumped, but not enough to deter me. With a few seconds remaining, I typed in a number I was prepared to pay, but prayed I wouldn't have to do so to win it. Fortunately, it came in under that number, and after five years, I was finally the owner of a carded Blue Saber Luke Jedi from Return of the Jedi. I won the Darth Vader for less than half of what I paid for the Luke, and was thrilled at the end result. After a few conversations with the seller, he assured me he would pack them very carefully. When they arrived, they looked even better than they did in their photos, if that's even possible. And when I sent them into AFA to be graded, they both came back with an overall grade of 85, with straight 85 subgrades. I had contacted the seller to thank him for his care in packing and shipping them to me, and asked if he had any other figures. He mentioned he was selling them for a friend, and said he might have more in the future. I added the seller's name to the top of my eBay watch list. Within a week or two, another Darth Vader popped up for sale, in the same condition as the previous one. And over the course of the next few years, I purchased a total of ten carded Return of the Jedi Darth Vaders from the seller. Some of them happened to fly under the radar due to the keywords he used in his listings headings, and I was able to pick up a few of them for $100 each. And all of them arrived safely, and he always made sure to pack them really well which I greatly appreciated. The Vaders were essentially a bonus to that meaningful Luke pickup. The Luke Jedi figure taught me a really good lesson, 
when it comes to collecting, patience is extremely important. It's easy to get caught up in acquiring things, especially when we have a global marketplace at our fingertips. But for the special pieces, finding the right one and not settling is a worthwhile approach. After all, a large part of the fun of collecting happens in the time between deciding to add a piece and finally purchasing the one that's meant to have a home in your collection. Two skiffs in one week. I never knew Kenner had made a Tatooine skiff vehicle for the Power of the Force line. As a child growing up in the 1980s, I had played with the toys through the end of the Return of the Jedi action figure releases. But somehow, the Power of the Force toys never showed up on my toy-obsessed radar. It wasn't until I was older that I found out Kenner produced a skiff at the end of the Star Wars run. And by the time I started collecting as an adult, finding one was not only extremely challenging, but was costly as well. As I had collected sealed figures, my hope was to find a sealed skiff, which at the time seemed almost impossible. The majority of skiffs that turned up for sale either came opened with its box, or was sold by itself in no box, and was often missing parts. After three years of searching... I wasn't ready to give up, but I had put the skiff farther down on my want list. In June of 2014, I attended the first ToyCon NJ, a New Jersey toy convention that pulled from a mix of vendors around the tri-state area. While shopping the show, I met an older gentleman named Jerry, who had brought an incredible array of the most desirable and collectible toys from the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, including Star Wars figures. Jerry had been a longtime collector and toy enthusiast, and he chose ToyCon NJ as the first show at which he was a vendor. I had purchased a number of figures from him and his wife that day, and when I asked him if he had anything else, he said, I have a few more down my basement. You should come over to my house sometime. I took him up on his offer about two weeks later. From the outside, his simplistic ranch-style home was largely unremarkable but his basement literally held the inventory of a toy store. Jerry had purchased thousands of toys over the past 40 years and stocked them in his basement with plans to eventually open a toy store. But life had taken him in other directions, and his basement had become a shrine to the toys of yesteryear instead. Among the rows of cases of carded figures were boxed vehicles and playsets bearing the logos of lines like Sectors, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, and Superpowers. The majority of the boxed items had been opened, but were in great condition. And after two hours of rummaging through his expansive collection, I saw a box sitting on top of a few other toy boxes, along the wall of a previously unexplored section of the basement. When you're a collector and you've been hunting a piece for a while, the colors and design of the box become burned into your brain. You can recognize it almost instantly, 
even in a sea of other colorful toy lines. It was a boxed Power of the Force skiff. I had assumed that, like the rest of the vehicles in the basement, Jerry had opened it at some time in the past 30 years. But as I got closer to it and walked around it, I realized I was wrong. Somehow, that skiff had not only survived, but was still sealed on both sides. I brought it over to my small pile of items I had hoped to purchase that day. When I finished going through his inventory, we brought the skiff and the rest of the toys upstairs and discussed the cost for the lot. He and his wife often used eBay to figure out prices for the individual items. But instead of referring to the listings that displayed the prices at which the items sold, Jerry and his wife sometimes based their prices on current, yet unsold ones. And we've all seen some delusional listings on eBay where the items sit on the site for months or years because the seller is asking hundreds or thousands of dollars over the actual value. I was afraid Jerry was going to base his asking price for the skiff on one of these sky-high listings where the item hadn't sold yet because it was way beyond what any collector in their right mind would pay for it. And I remember wincing at the thought of hearing him say something like $1,500, which would have been about three times what the skiff was really worth in 2014. And having to leave his house without that sealed skiff would have been heartbreaking. Instead, he looked at the box, ran his finger along a tiny dent on the top, and said, How about $350? I left his house that day as the extremely excited and proud owner of a sealed Power of the Force Tatooine skiff. It had sat untouched in a basement for almost 30 years, and I saw it as a true blessing, like it had been put there just for me long before I knew about its existence and before I decided to ever collect Star Wars figures. After three years of searching, I finally had my sealed Tatooine skiff. Or, I should say, my first one of that week. The day after I purchased it, another sealed skiff popped up on eBay. The auction ended a few days later during the night when I would be sleeping. The night it ended, before I went to bed, I went back and forth about bidding on it. After all, I finally owned a sealed one. But the price was still really low on it, and since the auction was ending while most people were asleep on the East Coast, and possibly the West Coast, I decided to place a bid. The next morning, I awoke to find out I was the high bidder at $450 a price I was happy to pay for a rare piece like this. And that's how I purchased two sealed Tatooine skiffs in one week in 2014. My Vectus Mistake When it comes to collecting, we've all overpaid for Star Wars items. But have you ever unintentionally overpaid, where you spent more money than you originally thought? It sounds ridiculous, but let me explain. In November of 2018, Vectus Auctions, a UK auction house, hosted a sale of toys and entertainment memorabilia. 
Among the lots was an impressive collection of graded Star Wars action figures. I flagged a few that caught my attention, like a Blue Saber Luke, some high-grade Power of the Force pieces, and a Revenge of the Jedi proof card. After a number of days had passed, I noticed that there was very little activity on behalf of the bidders. I thought I had a shot at landing at least one or two of the items if they happened to fly under the radar. And my morning habits offered me an advantage. I left for work every day at 6 a.m. and would be awake when the auction began. Vectus was located in the UK, which meant a 5 a.m. start time, and I would be ready, hopefully while many of my fellow collectors were still asleep. And as a UK house, Vectus set the currency for bidding in pounds. So I had prepped that morning by creating a simple conversion chart in my mind as I showered, noting some of the key prices that the pieces would likely reach. The Bespin Security Guard Revenge Proof was one of the first lots to go live. As the clock counted down, it was below the low range of its estimate. I couldn't let it sell so cheaply, and even though I didn't collect vintage proofs, I couldn't turn it down for the price. So I bid on it, and I won it. I proceeded to win six more lots. A 65A Blue Saber Luke Jedi graded at an 85 was another one that I was happy to add, as a compliment to my 65B Luke. I also snagged a cheap Pop Loop Power of the Force carded figure, graded at a 70, but with a rare clear bubble. The rest were all high-grade Power of the Force figures at an 85 or higher. Lando General, Luke in Battle Poncho, a Tebow, and one that had evaded my grasp for years, a Han Solo in trench coat. I had picked up more figures that morning than I had planned, and had certainly spent more money, but I got each one for what I thought was a great price. Or at least, what I thought was a great price, until I received the invoice a few days later. Very simply, on the day of the auction, my 5am brain was foggy enough to get the conversion wrong. Instead of increasing the cost as I shifted from dollars to pounds by 30%, I did the opposite. And as a result, I got everything wrong. The final price, the tax, and the total. My celebrating in the days shortly after it turned to a quick and eyebrow-raising realization, followed by what I can only describe as a parade of panic that floated up and down the street around me. By the time the dust had settled and I had to call Vectus to pay my invoice, I was essentially paying almost double what I had anticipated spending. The good news is that this happened in the winter of 2018, when prices for vintage-carded Star Wars items were slightly depressed. And by 2020, my seemingly massive overpay turned out to be a bargain. I sold one of the seven pieces to pay for an upcoming purchase during the early months of the pandemic. It was one for which I felt I'd overpaid the most, and I had wanted to get back what I had paid for it. Shockingly, that single figure sold for half of the total price I had paid for all seven Vectus pieces two years earlier. And the other six items are still in my collection, where they will reside for a long time. I'm thankful for the mistake. Not only did it emphasize the need to confirm the current conversion rates before bidding on future UK auctions, but I don't think I would have purchased these pieces from my collection otherwise. 
The realized prices in pounds would have scared me off from acquiring many of them that morning. And I likely wouldn't own a Power of the Force Han and Trench Coat or Tebow today, especially as prices have soared over the past two years. We've all experienced happy accidents when it comes to collecting, and sometimes they become blessings for us years later. The Case of Corralling a Rancor and a Bantha The Columbus Toy Show has always been the highlight of the toy show season. And there's something about driving to Ohio in the fall, as Ohio State fans dressed in their sharp reds flood the area at the start of the college football season. There's an excitement to Columbus, and with it comes the anticipation of seeing what collecting gems will turn up that weekend. One of my favorite Columbus memories happened the day before I arrived. Following my usual tradition, I drove until I crossed the border into Ohio and kicked off the weekend with a dinner at Melman's Cafeteria, a restaurant that hasn't changed since it opened in the 1960s. It was September of 2018, the Friday of the Columbus Toy Show weekend. I was having dinner at Melman's when I received a text message from my friend Zach Curtis who was living in the Columbus area at the time. Zach sent me photos of two figure sets from 1998's Power of the Force 2 collection. The first one was a Bantha creature that came with a Tusken Raider, and the second was a Rancor monster that was packaged with a bone-wielding Luke Jedi figure. He mentioned that a friend had purchased them and wanted to sell them. But these two sets were unlike anything I had seen previously. They were pre-production mock-ups, packaged in boxes with graphics from a completely different, already created toy line. While Hasbro was working on the official packaging art, the designers used whatever material was around to mock up each set, giving themselves an overall idea of how the creatures and figures would appear within the windowed boxes. And in this case, they used white boxes with Disney and Mattel logos adorning it. The most noticeable difference for the Tusken Raider figure was the neon pink tip staff he held as he rode atop the Bantha. And the Rancor set had two main color changes that separated it from its production counterpart. The Rancor prototype had darker skin, and the Luke figure donned a gray outfit instead of the iconic black one he wore in the film. Zack said he thought of me as soon as his friend sent him the photos. I told him I had to have them, and was interested in buying both mock-ups. I gave him my price range for each. At the time, the prices for modern Star Wars prototypes were pretty cheap. They were starting to find favor with vintage and modern collectors, but were viewed as far inferior to any vintage Star Wars items. As I drove from Melman's to the hotel for the evening, Zack called me again. He told me what the seller had wanted for each of the mock-ups. 
The prices were a little higher than my original range, but Zack claimed them for me. He was afraid someone else would purchase them if he didn't act quickly, and he even offered to buy them if I felt the price was too high or decided I didn't want them. But he didn't want me to miss out on owning them. I was really touched by his kindness. There's something special about our community of collectors. Many in our hobby find joy in helping others obtain pieces for their collections. Anytime I see a Superman piece, I always contact Zack, because Superman is the character closest to his heart, and he does the same with me when it comes to vintage and modern Star Wars figures and prototypes. I was overjoyed to have two new pre-production pieces to add to my collection, even before traveling to Columbus the following day. The seller told Zack he would be attending the show on Sunday, and that he and I would do the deal then. In the early afternoon, the seller finally arrived, carting a large cardboard box on a dolly as he walked to Zack's table. He and his father pulled out one of the two mock-ups to show us, and as I reached into my bag to get the money I owed him, he stopped me and looked at me solemnly. He explained that after making the deal with me, he sent photos to other collectors to get a better sense of valuation for each item. I did not like where this conversation was going. He said that he had received estimates that were three to four times higher than the price he had quoted Zach, and upon which we had already made a deal through Zach. And he told me he could not sell the pieces to me for those agreed-upon prices. Zach and I were both shocked. He obviously had no idea the seller had changed his mind, and I could see how frustrated he was with his friend. Other collectors and vendors began to gather around the box on the dolly, and I knew that if I really wanted to settle this deal, I had to move it and our conversation away from the sharks that smelled blood in the waters on the show floor. The seller, his father, and I walked over to the food area and sat at one of the tables. I pulled each mock-up out of the box and examined it carefully. I was angry and frustrated that the seller had gone back on his deal and had gone against Zack in the process. But at the same time, I knew that this could be my only opportunity to purchase these pieces. And in some way, I felt for the seller. It only stressed how crucial it was to research items and their values before selling them. I knew he wasn't lying about getting estimates from other collectors. And I could see how torn he was, as the regret for selling them and then doing the research on them ate at him as we spoke. I honestly had no idea they were worth as much as they claimed. After all, mock-ups like these rarely turn up, so finding past examples of comparable sales can be nearly impossible. I could see how much it strained the seller, and did not want to force him into doing a deal with me, especially one he would later regret. So we talked it over for a while and decided to meet each other halfway, reaching a new price for the pair. After we finished the deal, the three of us sat together and got to know one another. And we ended up becoming friends, ending the day with a handshake and a hug before I left the show. Every issue has a solution. But it takes both sides to listen to one another with an open mind and heart, and to bend a bit in order to reach an agreement beneficial to everyone. The world of collecting can be messy at times. And that's okay. 
Part of the collecting journey is cultivating meaningful relationships while navigating a world centered around obtaining things. And a lot of times, the key is to practice patience and empathy when dealing with other collectors. And even though I may have overpaid, modern prototypes became pretty popular among Star Wars collectors over the course of the next year. And within a few months, it appeared I had scored them for a great value when I did. And I certainly have Zach to thank for that. Assembling a Unique Trooper Team When it comes to the modern Hasbro toys, one of my favorite lines is the action figure collection from 2008's animated series, The Clone Wars. As a collector, I was really drawn to the figures of The Clone Wars. The characters and their story arcs within the series resonated with me. I personally believe the episodes feature some of the best storytelling within the entirety of the Star Wars universe. That love for the Clone Wars translated into a love for the modern prototypes. At the time I began collecting prototypes, the Hasbro ones drew very little interest among collectors. As a result, they were cheap to obtain, and I picked up as many as I could find. When it comes to the production figures, one of the rarest action figure sets is the ARC Trooper Battle Pack. The ARC Troopers, also known as Advanced Recon Commandos, were a squadron of elite soldiers who protected the Republic during the Clone Wars. Essentially, they were the equivalent of the U.S. Navy SEALs, handling some of the toughest and most dangerous missions. The ARC Trooper 4-pack consisted of one of the Clone Wars' main characters, Captain Rex. It included three previously unreleased ARC Troopers, Captain Fordo, the Red ARC Trooper Hammer, and the blue arc trooper Havoc. Rex's weapon and the three arc troopers were unique to that set, making it very desirable among collectors. In March of 2018, I stumbled upon my first prototype piece from the rare arc trooper set. I had won a series of Clone Wars first shots in a Vectus auction, and one of the figures came with Rex's tripod blaster in neon green. That set me off on a challenge to try to get a complete ARC Trooper set in prototype form. Looking back on it now, that was a ridiculous goal. Even at the time when Clone Wars prototypes would turn up for sale, the chance of finding all four figures as first shot prototypes was incredibly slim. But I had put the word out on the collecting groups that I was looking for any and all Clone Wars prototypes. Going through my collection one day, I came upon a welcome surprise. I owned two first shots of the red and blue ARC Troopers. I was closer to my goal than I had realized. A collector contacted me in early 2019, right before celebration. He had the Rex first shot, which came with the same neon green prototype tripod gun I owned. We made a deal for the figure, and suddenly, I had three of the four. After celebration, he went through more of his collection and found the red and blue ARC Troopers that were different from the ones I owned and were in non-production colors. I picked up the maroon and silver first shots, filling out my run. I just needed the Captain Fordo. It's hard to know just what exists when it comes to prototypes. 
Some pieces never made it out of the Hasbro offices and factories. Some are still in the possession of the designers who worked on them. And others are in the hands of collectors, possibly locked away for good. I had no idea if a Fordo existed. I had gone through all the photos I had accumulated of what existed publicly, with no sign of the Fordo prototype. I asked my friend and modern prototype mentor Anthony Pagano if he had seen one before, and he recalled owning one at some point, but wasn't sure. One evening, a few months later, Anthony messaged me with an eBay link. Someone was selling a Fordo first shot, complete with his accessories, for a similar price to what I had paid for the other three prototypes. It arrived a few days later, and I had achieved what really should have been impossible. I had completed the ARC Trooper set in prototype form, and did it with the help of a few good friends. It was a fun challenge, one that I didn't take too seriously, and the timing happened to fall in my favor. Since then, as I mentioned earlier, interest in modern prototypes and in the Clone Wars increased substantially, and it's become very hard to find any for sale. Each one of these collecting stories seems to have a lesson that came from it. And I think this one was a good reminder to challenge yourself a bit with collecting, and to pursue things that may seem impossible. Because if you look hard enough you just may find your version of a Clone Wars ARC Trooper prototype set. The First Shot Awakens At the beginning of August in 2017, I received a text from a friend. He had acquired a few First Shot prototypes from the 6-inch Black Series line and wanted to know if I was interested in them. At the time, I was focused on the prototypes from the Clone Wars series, and did not have any intention of delving into the 6-inch action figures. While I had an appreciation for the Black Series line, going after the prototypes hadn't crossed my mind. But yet, as I looked at the photos, I really wanted three of the figures. The villainous Kylo Ren, and the heroes of The Force Awakens, Finn and Rey. All three were obvious first-shot prototypes. They came with prototype accessories and had security tracking numbers lasered into their foreheads. And Ray also came with a first-shot BB-8. A quick aside, I love The Force Awakens. Regardless of whether it was a perfect Star Wars film, it was an emotional Star Wars story for me. I saw it multiple times in the theaters with various family members, co-workers, and friends. Seeing Han, Luke, and Leia again, and connecting with new characters like Finn, Kylo Ren, and Rey, was something I'll never forget. And when I think about the Black series, my memories will always be tied to seeing the red and black boxes with the Force Awakens characters for the first time in the Times Square Toys R Us. My friend told me the price for each. He was consigning them for a source, and the seller was asking a price that was higher than most prototypes available at the time. But they were larger scale figures, and the first ones I had seen that were complete and still had their original heads with the tracking numbers. I remember pacing around my room while we were on the phone, as I tried to decide what to do. They were expensive, at least by my standards at the time 
and it was an expense that popped up on a random August evening. At the same time, I loved all three characters from the seventh film, and knew that this might be my only opportunity I'd ever have to purchase them. And I remember being consciously aware of that moment, and feeling like it would have a larger long-term effect. Either I'd purchase them and would follow the trail into becoming a Black Series prototype collector, or I'd pass on them and would regret it for years. And that's when I realized the prices didn't matter, and that the end result of both scenarios would be that I would want them. Three weeks later, I met my friend at a toy show and paid him for the three figures. He handed me the Force Awakens first shots, and as soon as I saw them in person, I knew I had made the right decision by buying them. Today, they are some of my favorite pieces in my collection. I have never seen another Kylo Ren or Finn prototype, and I have only seen one other Ray with a tracking number on its head, which I was fortunate to pick up as well. Since then, I've developed a substantial Black Series prototype collection, which includes a focus on the characters from The Force Awakens. I've been fortunate to pick up hard copies, first shots and samples, and other pre-production items that span the entirety of the line, from its introduction in 2013 to some of the more recent Hasbro releases. And buying those three authentic pieces and getting them from a dear friend really set me on a course for modern prototype collecting. I didn't realize it until this moment, but that happened right around the time I decided to go all in on collecting modern prototypes and to become a serious collector. I look back on that phone call with fondness. The Kylo Ren, Finn, and Rey remind me of that time when I was delving into a new area of collecting Star Wars memorabilia, and how fresh and exciting it was. And all these years later, I know I made the right decision to add them to my collection. I'm sitting outside and it's the evening right now and it's Friday before Labor Day. It's a beautiful evening, it's gotten a little cooler as the fall starts to show itself. We're, we're coming to the end of the summer, and uh, I just wanted to share a story while I was outside. So I'll call this Seeking the Rebel's Crew. Sometimes all it takes is one piece to start the collecting years turning. And when that happens, it can set us on a run that we never planned. And sometimes that run becomes a journey unto itself one that can unfold over the course of many years. Like Clone Wars, 2014's animated series Star Wars Rebels produced some of my favorite characters and storylines from the Star Wars universe. The main characters were part of the Ghost Crew, a group of six heroes who were part of the earliest rebellion to stop the Emperor and his evil galaxy-consuming empire. And during the first year of collecting prototypes, I couldn't seem to find any prototypes from the Rebels toy line. It wasn't until the room sales event at the 2018 ICCC convention that I picked up my first prototype member of the Ghost Crew. That room sales event was legendary. 
Anthony Pagano brought a literal carload of modern prototypes to sell that evening. So much so that it took us multiple trips and multiple luggage carts to carry everything into the event. As I looked through each bin he brought, I found a production sample of Zebarellius, the purple creature that closely resembled Ralph McQuarrie's original take on Chewbacca. The Zeb figure had the security tracking number on its head. Almost a year later, Pete LaRose contacted me, offering me two more Rebels prototypes. They were the hard copies of the Jedi Kanan Jarrus and his apprentice Ezra Bridger. I never expected to find hard copies from any of the toys in that line. And these were even more special because they were early versions of each figure and were noticeably different from the final sculpts. And then for the next two years, there was nothing. I had assumed that the handful of Rebels prototypes were likely all that existed, all that had survived, and my run would end at only one half of the Ghost Crew. But I've learned to never give up and to never stop hunting. And last year, a production sample with a tracking number on its helmet for the character of the Mandalorian warrior Sabine surfaced on eBay. The seller had what I believed to be a number of production figures for sale as well. But upon a closer inspection, I realized that the Hera figure was a first shot and was missing any copyright markings. And so, as of now, I have five of the six Ghost Crew Rebels characters in prototype form. I'm missing the lovable astromech droid Chopper, but I know I'll find him one day. And while I've been hunting Rebels prototypes for five years and have not been able to complete my set, it's been a really enjoyable experience. And that experience was made even more exciting this past May, when it was revealed at Star Wars Celebration that the Rebels crew would be returning for the upcoming Ahsoka live-action series. If you ever happen to come across a Chopper prototype, or really any prototypes from the Star Wars Rebels series, please keep me in mind. And if you're looking for prototypes or production pieces for your own current runs, never give up and never stop hunting. So those were some of the stories of the amazing finds and memorable moments from my collection. I really hope you enjoyed them, and that you could relate to them as well. We've all experienced the excitement and terror of our first big purchase, our leveling up as collectors. We've been fortunate to have mentors that help us navigate those early years of collecting, and continue to guide us along the way once we find our footing within the hobby and we've been able to pay it forward and to help out newer collectors as they establish themselves within our community. We've all been shown kindness through our fellow collectors and friends, and hopefully we've been able to return the favor through the years. And some of the pieces we picked up at shows, conventions, and meetups have become souvenirs from those wonderful events that shaped our collecting journey. We've seen the effects of saying yes, of picking up a piece that sets us on a collecting path we never imagined, meeting new friends and having new experiences along the way. 
We've learned the power of patience and that collecting is a marathon and not a sprint. We've set wild, imaginative goals for what our collections could someday hold, and we've learned to run with hope. And we've learned to never give up and to never stop hunting. Thank you for joining me for the 100th episode of the Star Wars Prototypes and Production Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about modern Star Wars prototypes, please check out my friend Brandon Vise's incredible website, Prototype Archives. He's been putting in a lot of work to make the site an essential resource to modern collectors and fans of the Hasbro Star Wars toys. And he has a true passion for collecting prototypes. And he has a section on the website where you can listen to the podcast as you browse the rest of the content. I want to say thank you and send love to my parents. Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia are great, but Ken and Diane Quinn are my true heroes. I love you both so very much. Thank you for introducing me to Star Wars as a child and for leading me through the galaxy. Every podcast episode begins with a prayer and ends with one as I'm about to publish it. And the blessings that have come from this podcast that explores the pretend galaxy and its real-world collectibles have been immeasurable over the past four years. And if there's one larger lesson I've learned from this experience, it's that God loves you and me so very much. If you're going through a tough spot in your life right now, whatever it is, just ask him to help you. You don't have to have the right words. He'll do all the heavy lifting. He just wants to hear what's in your heart and he'll show you the depth of his. And thank you to each of the friends I've made during this past decade as a collector. I'm thankful for the kindness you've shown me, for the words of encouragement, for the phone calls and messages and moments we've shared together in person. Thank you for your friendship. And finally, I wanted to personally thank you. In life, time is so precious, and you have taken time out of your day to join me for the stories, toy trips, and conversations over the past 100 episodes. I hope the episodes have inspired you, encouraged you to collect and to connect with others, and at the very least, brought you a piece of the heart that makes our hobby meaningful. I'm going to leave you with a simple challenge. Today or tomorrow, make someone else's day a little brighter. If you know other collectors, just do something for one of them to let them know you were thinking of them. And if you don't know any collectors yet, either seek one out or just try to encourage someone else around you. Do that for the next three days. And if you like the results, try it for a week. We have the power to make this world a little better, a little more connective, and it begins with tiny acts of kindness. And as all of the good Star Wars stories have shown us, amazing things happen in the company of our friends. Here's to the next 100 episodes. Please don't forget to subscribe and to leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And pass along the podcast to a friend as well. See you next time for episode 101 on Star Wars, Prototypes and Production.